welcome to the Evangelism Training Podcast. I'm Josh Benner, and so excited to be joined today by Pastor Jim Murphy, who I've gotten to know over the past year. Came to our church in February to do a training called My Circle that he wrote. Jim currently pastors in Iowa. Jim, what else would you like to share about yourself? Oh, well, I'm a Midwest boy, uh, born and raised uh, there in Western Illinois, and then lived in Michigan for a while. But uh, this January, we'll be uh, celebrating 21 years of full-time ministry, but even more importantly than that, uh, on December 7th, will be 20 years married. So uh, just uh, excited to be on mission with God uh, as a family here in the Midwest and beyond. And we just have a passion to help mobilize all of Christ's people to be his witness in the world, right where they live, work, and play. So I'm just excited to be in partnership with you and excited to have this conversation. Well, I appreciate that. One thing I'd be curious about, because I, I don't think I've actually heard this from you. I, I assume when you were five years old, you weren't really committed to evangelism and mission. So what's kind of your your origin story as far as this passion? Yeah, so I would say, you know, uh, as quickly as I can, uh, I came, I became a Christian when I was 20. And I grew up in a home that was aware of God, very thankful for for my uh, you know, religious upbringing, but I would say I I did not grow up with a gospel centeredness, so to speak. Uh, and in a lot of ways, like it felt like faith and life were very separate. There was church clothes, church behavior, you know, uh, uh, the church voice and smile and all that stuff. But then everyone that I knew when they left the building, it was like it didn't matter. And so like you lived your whole life the way you wanted to live, and then you'd act a certain way at church. And then uh, as I started to grow up a little more, uh, I, the Lord started bringing these people in my life where faith and life met together um, and that they, they, they loved Jesus in a way that was just different than what I had seen before. And, and they started to engage me around who Christ was where my hope in life was. And that, and that started probably when I was in sixth grade, uh, some degree, and then kept going until I got into college. And there was a handful of people that lived this way. And so in a, in a lot of ways, this, this idea of personal evangelism was really rooted in how I came to faith, where people living in the context of everyday life loved Jesus in front of me, loved me in a way that 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 was different because of Jesus and wanted to point me to the great love of God displayed in Christ Jesus. And it wasn't around church services. It was around dinner tables and in cars and sitting at lunches and co-workers. Um, and so when I became a follower of Jesus at the age of 20 and and life's life and faith started to meet for me, um I just realized like I need to do everything I can to tell everyone I know about this good news. Like what, what better news in the world is there to tell than for God so loved the world. He gave his only son and whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And, and that just created this desire in me to go, why wouldn't we want to tell this news? Um, and then as I got older in ministry and began to be mentored uh, and, and pointed back to the scriptures of what God's primary desire in the world is, as he's redeeming a people back to himself, this real fundamental conviction came to me. And it was given to me by a guy named Dwight Smith is who articulated this for me. 
And it was, you look back from Genesis to Revelation, that whatever God's going to do in the world, he's primarily going to do it through all of Christ's people. Mm. Uh, he's not going to do it through a, a group of paid professionals only. He's not going to do it through that select few, but it's all of his people who are all empowered and indwelt by his Holy Spirit to be his witnesses in the world. And so as a pastor, my 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 focus began to shift. So my desire to share hasn't changed, modeled after how I was brought to Jesus, but it began to shift. In, in, and if we're really going to reach the world, I need to be an equipper and not just the doer on behalf of everyone else. Um, and that's sort of how this progression started. Wow. Uh, I, I appreciate that story. And, and that's amazing. And I, I'm curious to ask, so for, for you, it sounds like that's something that, that clicked pretty early on when you really became serious about your faith, not just being a nominal Christian, but somebody who is living for Christ and trying to be an example and to shine that in the world. For, for so many sincere Christians, uh, that seems like it's a, a real struggle. Why do you think that is? Man, uh, how many episodes are we doing together? <laughs> um, you know, I, while it's hard to paint with a broad brush stroke, right? Uh, because I think there's some nuances for everybody. Uh, but but I think there there are some things that can be boiled down. Um, that that man, as I think about them, j just in my own interaction, I think on one hand there's tremendous fear. That people have, I think, a number of years ago, uh, Luis Palau. You remember Luis yeah. Palau did a study that I, I'm trying to remember when that study came out. But please forgive me; it was a number of years ago. Uh, but the two biggest reasons that they found why people don't evangelize, and I think this might have been 15 years ago, even. So I'm sure it's changed, but maybe not much. Is number one, fear was the single biggest reason why, according to that survey, Christians didn't didn't share their faith. And, and as I've gone around and, and, and done evangelism training, uh, that fear seems to be lived out in a couple different ways. Number one, what if I'm asked a question that I don't know enough about? Number two, what, what if, what if I'm found to be a hypocrite and then all of a sudden I, I've lost platform? I think number three, uh, a fear is, uh, what if, what if like, what if my family disowns me? What if I get fired from my job? Like, like that ostracization of sharing my faith. What if it sure. changes the way my neighbors view me, the way my boss or coworkers view me? I get fired. My family, I don't want to yell. I, I don't want to get yelled at while I'm eating turkey at Thanksgiving. Uh, so I think fear is one of the big factors. Um, I think number two to some degree, I think that there is a misunderstanding of this idea of evangelism, um, where for a large swath of people, I think evangelism is looked at as a spiritual gift. Sure. And so we take these tests, and very few people are going to have evangel. Like, you know, when you get to the question, are you super stoked to share your faith with people? There's not a lot of people that are going to check mark check that yes sure. <laughs> or those types of questions. So evangelism comes down very low. And so I don't have the gift, so I don't have to do it. You know what I sure. mean? Yeah. When in reality, we go back to the scriptures 
And now I know that there's debate. Are the spiritual gifts listed in the scriptures? All of them. Um, do, are, are there? Okay, let's take let's put that debate aside for a minute. Sure. And go. Uh, evangelism is nowhere listed as a spiritual gift. And wouldn't we think in the economy of God that 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 would be something He would list? <laughs> you know what I mean? And and but instead, I think it's a work that we are all empowered by the Spirit of God to do in the world. Um, so 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 I think there's a shift into thinking. I, I don't believe that evangelism is a spiritual gift. Um, I believe it's a work that we are all empowered to do. We are all his witnesses. We are all his ambassadors. We are all, as his people, the vehicle through whom God makes his appeal to the world. Uh, so, so, so I think that that is a huge part of the conversation. And then I think two supplemental ones, and I don't want to go too long, Josh, so you can interrupt me. But, but I no, think some, I think some degree there is a an incomplete understanding of the gospel for some, for, for, for some people. And so, you know, for example, I think we can think, uh, you know, that, uh, the gospel, uh, the people around me, you know, because they say they're a Christian, they must be a Christian or because they sometimes go to church. Uh, you know, uh, I, I think that that can hinder some people because we all just assume that the people around us are Christians and not understanding the full gospel that we'll know them by their fruit kind of thing. Um, and so, so, so I think that that definitely plays a part in it. And then the last piece that I think more research has been coming out recently that I think is a really important element to this <clears throat> um, is George Barna, the, the Barna group just came out with some research just this, like in the last few months, what is it like 42 or 47 percent of millennial Christians believe that sharing the gospel is immoral? Because how can huh. I impose my beliefs on someone else? Uh, which tells me there's an incomplete view of the gospel, right? An incomplete view of who Christ is. So, so I think those are the four big things. I think fear, I think a misunderstanding of evangelism, I think a misunderstanding of the gospel. That then leads many to think, well, who am I to push my beliefs on someone? I, I, it's kind of immoral for me to do that. And I think all of that plays an ingredient uh, to things. That was Thank a lot. Very much. I, I appreciate it. That's a, that's a great answer. Um, I feel like that's a question I ask a, a lot. And so it's so interesting to hear perspectives. And um, I, I think that's all certainly true. I, I've not read that Barna study, but I definitely believe that, that because our whole worldview has become so kind of hands off and not wanting to, hundred percent, not wanting to firmly come down on beliefs, um, not even just gospel beliefs, but uh, belief in general. Um, well, let let me let me tell you, I, I think that that some of the things that we need to really wrap our heads around is uh number one if we look at the state of theology so um the the state of theology which i think is done by ligonier ministries every year yeah ligonier and lifeway have you read the the recent yeah. results that have come out uh, it's really really 
should be sobering to us as churches and church leaders that that a a very large percentage of the self-proclaimed church does not have a correct view of who we are before God, who Christ is. I mean, there, there's a growing belief that 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 uh, God accepts the worship of all faiths. Yeah, that Jesus was a sinner. That I'm born innocent. So, so that's what yeah. I mean by this incomplete it, view of the gospel. But, but you know what's interesting about that is more <clears throat> proclaimed Christians in that survey have correct answers on moral issues, things like abortion, which is important. Churches, you know, but it's just interesting. Churches have done a better job of educating people on that than infinitely more important issues such as the gospel itself and the atonement of Christ. hundred percent. And, and, and I think wedded with that, can I give one more reason why I think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and this might be a bigger dialogue. I actually, these are all, I think, really important dialogues. But I think one of the other things is um, even the most well-meaning congregations that, that I've had an opportunity to work with and get to know, they're, they're, they're convinced of the gospel, uh, they, they want to reach the world. And, and I would say even, even a lot of the, the, the people in their congregations are like, I want to, but I feel like I'm not equipped. Yeah. Um, and and I also think as a part of that, by and large, evangelists are not present in the local church. Uh, so so if we understand the scriptures correctly, I think you know uh, evangelists is a part of the leadership that Jesus has gifted his people with. You know sure. Ephesians four eleven talks about this, um, and that the evangelists were given as a part of the leadership to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And to help that body grow in greater maturity. And I think, by and large, evangelists have are not present in the local church. And so they're in parachurch organizations, and they're sure. doing evangelism. But yet, we're not present necessarily among the body to equip the body. And so we're, the church isn't fully being discipled into the work of evangelism which I think is a huge component to all of this. We've got to help, just as we teach people how to read the scriptures and walk with them a long journey so that that becomes a daily practice for them, just as we work with them to know their spiritual gifts and live them out, you know, we need to work with them on sharing the story of God's grace in the world. And that's not just a one-time training. That, sure. that, that requires training but it requires discipleship. And I think you need the heart of an evangelist more present in the local church that walks with people to go, you know, we're going to reach far more people in the long term if all of Christ's people are equipped than if just the small percentage of evangelists go out and do it on behalf of everybody else. Yeah, amen to that. And it's something that um, I, I've really tried to take to heart in my preaching and ministry over the past year. And I, I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back, but it, it raises a question. It's a slight change of pace. Some passages, it just jumps off the page that obviously there's an evangelistic application to it. Um, do you think every passage can ultimately have a missional 
evangelistic element to it. I I actually do, um, and it may not be overt. Sure. <laughs> right? But but I think I think that there are implications of the truth of God's word that's revealed and what it what what it does in us and how it works out through us in the world that that either in a witness displays a better kingdom that can lead to opportunity to proclaim that better kingdom um in every in every single passage so I'll, I'll give you I'll give you one one example so in uh what is it in in um in first peter chapter chapter one right peter does this beautiful introduction that is rooted in the gospel right so he's like you know th these are to christians that are scattered these are christians going through suffering and he writes the the, the power of the beauty of a living hope right that we have in jesus and and i and i think about this where he's like um you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though, though not seeing him now, you believe in him and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So let's just take that passage. So in a world that operates on different kingdom, on different principles, living for a different kingdom and doing everything they can to avoid suffering, right? I want to be happy. I want to avoid anything that doesn't make me happy, either spiritually, emotionally, or mentally. But yet, because of the living hope we have in Jesus, we are willing to endure suffering. We are willing to stand up and live for a different kingdom that shows the world, I love Jesus, and I'm not going to let go of that. And I, and, and I will even suffer for his namesake because I have an, a hope awaiting me, and that hope is being extended to you by the mercy of God, because I'm living differently, my hope is set differently, my fundamental love is different, and the trajectory of my life is going in a different direction towards a living hope. As we live that, that opens up opportunity to go, Who, how does my life display this in such a way that opens the door for good news? Like that passage alone is different from the world. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's good. Um, I want to circle back to something you, you talked about a couple moments ago with churches. Um, you know, a lot of evangelists do tend to work with organizations like, you know, great organizations. Yeah, great organizations. Um, how much of the challenge or problem do you think comes from and I'm probably somewhat speaking of myself too, because again, to, to what you said in the very beginning, I'm certainly not one of those people who evangelism just comes supernaturally to me. It's, it's, sure. it's a challenge. Um, even people who are good evangelists 
probably thinking i remember my evangelism professor who i've had on the podcast a guy named randy newman who spent many years with career works with the seattle Lewis institute when, when i had him for evangelism class at trinity he talked about how um he's like yeah i'm not bill bright you know i'm, I'm not somebody who it, it's like i it's, it's like and, and in some ways i think that's a good person to learn evangelism from that he was somebody who he understood the challenges. It's not like it's not like he's living in a world where he doesn't even comprehend why it's difficult for so many people. Um, but how much of a challenge do you think it is that a lot of pastors themselves are not great at evangelism? Again, myself included. Um, yeah. And so they're not super good at it or comfortable with it, which makes it harder for them to feel like they can really teach on it. Yeah, no, I I think um, I think this is a I think this is a big deal because um, you know I I'm a big I'm not one of these guys in the church that would say Have you ever heard the the, the phrase Everything rises and falls on leadership? Uh, you ever heard that phrase? Like I yeah. I'm not a fan of that phrase, to be honest with you. When, when it comes to the church, I think everything rises and falls on Jesus, right? Um, and yet, in that same vein, however, I do think leadership of the church is incredibly important, right? Um, and and my mind instantly goes to Hebrews 13, verse 7, that says, remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you, as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. And I think, okay, wow, there are so many implications to that that is far bigger than just evangelism. But I would also point out that it's it does include evangelism, <laughs> right? We are to be his witnesses. And so I think a lot of the 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 reason why may, maybe uh, you know some of the ingredients that that impacts the church is they have pastors and leaders that that don't evangelize. They don't share stories of engaging lost people. They and and what I think that the church needs uh, to some degree is not someone that stands up like the perfect evangelist. I've got it all figured out. I'm like Charlton Heston's Moses, you know, standing there, Gandalf, you shall not pass confidence. But I think I think what can be equally as powerful to the body that is already fearful, that is already holding the gospel with trembling hands to the world, uh, stands up and even in our weakness says, I'm willing to engage in this work. I, you know, I'm willing to have uh, someone that doesn't know Christ around my own dinner table and engage in missional activity independent from my job as a pastor. But I, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm working to get to know my neighbors. I'm working to, when, when I go to a, one of my kids sporting events to just pray to the Lord. Can you give me one meaningful conversation with someone? Like I'm trying to do this along with you and I'm going to fail forward with you but because I'm convinced, you know, I think of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, where he says, I believed and so I spoke. I think this is a hugely convicting verse for us as the church. If we believe that Christ rose from the dead, 
if we believe that salvation is found only in him, then even as we don't feel we're masters of evangelism, can we speak, right? And not just speak from our pulpits, but but compel us to love our neighbor. And I don't know how we expect bodies to really engage in it if we're not even willing to step out at all and even fail in it, but to at least be, I'm going to fail and allow the Lord to sanctify me. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, and I must wonder if that can also sometimes be part of the challenge that we almost feel like, how do I say this? It's obviously a, a big task to share the gospel, but almost if we, we make it so big that we make it more of a mountain than it needs to be, that you don't need to save the whole world. Nope. And, and you know what? And you can live on mission and be a faithful missionary if you're not in a hurry. Sometimes you may just need to have people over to your house for a while or go golfing with them or go for a walk with them or whatever and just get to know them for a while. Let them see the quality that are of our lives as kingdom citizens is a little more distinct than than theirs. Like, like that's not wasted time. Not every interaction needs to be the if you were to die tonight conversation. Sure. <laughs> you know. Sorry, I don't know if you can hear the hear the baby. Um, but yeah, it's it's something that's definitely usually a process. Uh, I, I should be curious as somebody who's very active in evangelism and mission. I mean, I would think it's it's got to be the exception, if ever, where you've shared the gospel with one person one time and right on the spot. Those interactions might happen, but I would think usually it's many conversations, sometimes many years, uh, many hours, many prayers for this person. That that is exactly true. I'll be honest, Josh. Um, in twenty one years of ministry. And if I were to even go back to when I was a volunteer at a church, so let's say 22 years, 23, maybe, um, have engaged a lot of people in a personal evangelism. I don't even know the numbers. I've had that happen one time. Wow. One time. Wow. And even for that one person, you know, who who knows what else, what, what, of pre-evangelism or other people in their lives who might have been sharing with, with maybe for years um and um uh, so i don't know if part of that is the some of the challenge of a of a model from the past where i don't know if we sometimes have this billy craig billy graham crusade model where you think you just you share it once <laughs> and, and, and again that can happen billy graham is obviously a unique individual who God used in a special way. Um, but that's definitely the exception. And, and, and even I think of, uh, you know, I think our, our country has a big obsession with with mega churches. But at the end of the day, far more of the real work is getting done by the church with 50, 60, 70, 100 people. Yes, 100%. And I, and I think I, I would love for someone to, to, if they're listening and knows this, to help with this. But I believe that there's a enough anecdotal evidence out there to point to even the way he works through these more programmatic elements mega churches i know we don't do crusades much anymore but but you know those those events even if, even if it's just a church service that is built on the labor 
of people that have loved them for a long time. You know, it's a grandmother yeah. that has, you know, uh, faithfully prayed and and worked on pointing them to Jesus for years. It's a it's a friend and a coworker. You know, it's a neighbor that's taken the long process to walk with someone. It's my story. I actually came to Jesus uh, at a Promise Keepers conference with 12,000 other men. And when they did the gospel call, I was like, yes, I'm a sinner. Christ died for my... But that was built on the backs of all of those people over years who talked to me about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, about my need of a Savior, about what the foundation of my life was built on. What you know, what do I really believe about this thing called the Bible? You know, and as I'm hearing all of this and it's growing in me all these years, when I found myself at the Promise Keepers Conference listening to the gospel being preached. It was like every conversation I had began to click in my head. And it was like, oh, that's my my heart was tilled by their investment. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing the amount of, of work that happens. Um on, on the on the front end. I, I was just thinking maybe maybe that's one of the things you get to do in heaven is, is see really the, the full picture of what it really was. Because, you know, we all have our testimony and story, which are great, but maybe if we had an even fuller picture uh, of of what it really involved to, to get to that moment. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And, and I think a lot of it is the Lord hides it from us so that we don't get cocky or arrogant or whatever, but he gives us just enough fruit to see, see, I'm moving, see, I'm working. And and I think you're right. I I, I got to believe that one day, we'll get a full picture that the Lord gives to us of what we were included into. And, and I think it's much more beautiful and profound than we realize. But I think one of the things that we need to catch um, in the spirit of evangelism is that there is intentionality to it. And, and uh, I'm not a fan of what I'll call shotgun evangelism, where every interaction, you know, needs to be the, you know, uh, if you were to, you know, like, like, do you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior right now? You know, and it's like, sure. it's, right. It's got to be long conversations and living a life in front of them. But, but I do think it takes intentionality, you know, that we're intentionally praying, that we're intentionally opening our lives. We're intentionally seeking to get to know them and to ask questions. Um, and I think we can learn to do that in better ways the longer we strive to be intentional with baby steps. Yeah, absolutely. And I have one last question. I, uh, I I could talk to you for eight hours. I should have said that when you said, how long is the podcast? I should have, we go for about <laughs> six hours at a, at a shot, but Man, come on. Um, one of the things I barely uh, even, even got to today was my circle training that you wrote. And I, I just want to focus on this one. And again, it's, there's a lot to it. It's a great program. Um, one of the things I really appreciate is the practicality of beginning with people you already know. I assume that's where the name My Circle came from. Yes. That if you're a Christian and you're listening to this podcast, you have people in your life who, you, you should have people in your life who don't know Jesus. If not, you should make some more friends. But you undoubtedly have people in your life who you interact with, people in your family, people you work with, people you go to school with, neighbors who aren't walking with Jesus 
and you already have a relationship with him today. Um, and that starting with that as a starting point for your mission field. And that's not to say that if, if, if you're on a six hour flight to Alaska and you're sitting next to somebody who you don't know, yeah, you might have an opportunity there, but yeah. really much more naturally, there's, there's people who you already know who, uh, and so I just was curious, um, again, I mean, it, this comes from, from your training, um, what other uh, insight or, or wisdom you would have on that as, as, as why that's such an important starting place? Yeah, I, well, I, I think that in the genius of God, um, he sends us back to our mission fields when he redeems us, which is our daily life. You know, um, the kingdom is to, you know, the gospel life planted in us, the new life in Christ by, by the power of the Holy Spirit um, is meant to, to be put on display in the context of our everyday life, right? I, you know, one of the phrases I heard Dwight tell, you know, say years ago when I was hearing him teach on Ephesians chapter two on, you know, the nature and purpose of the church is this idea of you, you, you get to the to the last few verses of Ephesians chapter two, and you see how this people who were dead, who were hostile to God, who were objects of his wrath, are saved by grace. They are, uh, we, we are uh, been given peace with him and with one another, that we are his masterpiece in the world to do these good works. And then he concludes it with a new identity. I love the bookends of identity. So, so the the that starts off with you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. To uh, saying that that we are now uh, members of God's household, that we are citizens of His kingdom, that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus being the cornerstone that we are uh, a, a holy dwelling being built into a temple, that, that now the church is the temple of God. And he said this, he goes, so do you understand what Paul is saying there? That we are the temple of the living God. And he's put his temple on the move. And everywhere we go, God goes. Everywhere we go, God goes. And what we live our daily lives in the context of people as the temple of God living inside of us. And we are in the midst of those people to put a different kingdom on display and to proclaim a different kingdom to them. And as we do that, he makes his appeal to the world. Be reconciled to me. Why would we not want to pray for, engage, and share with the people that are closest to us? <laughs> You know, if I, I dearly wanted my family to know about the hope of Jesus, what is what am I saying to the people that I love the most with my silence? What what, what am I saying to the people I love and and know the most about what I really believe the hope of mankind is? with my words or with my silence, I think those are conversations we've got to do business with before the Lord. Yeah. And be faithful with our children, 
with our neighbors? With uh, How can we say we love them? How can we say we honor them if we are not willing? Now, my friendship with them doesn't depend on whether they become Christians or not. May, may we be friends and love them. They're not targets. We're not, we're sure. not getting a sales quota. But at the end of the day, the grave is empty. The gospel is the power of God to save for all who believe. Christ is coming back to get those who are eagerly waiting for him. And there is a land, I love how the Puritans say it, of everlasting delights awaiting us in the presence of God in a land where all every tear is wiped away. How could I not want to share this with people I love, care about, and know? I think that's a great word to, to close on. And again, I, I so sincerely appreciate the conversation and your insights and, and your passion for this subject. You've have helped me. You've helped the church that I am blessed to pastor. And I appreciate you taking time today. It's been an honor. And uh, man, I, I, I'm i so blessed to be co-laborers together and excited to see how God moves in us. And, and the goal is, can we just take baby steps? <laughs> this isn't going from zero to Billy Graham in, in, in one day. <laughs> It's it's a little more baby steps, you know, and and yeah. I'm just excited to see how God moves through all of his people. And it's an honor to know you, to be a part of what God's doing there in any small way. And uh, just grateful for, for all the work you're doing and the blessing you've been to my life as well.